0: Welcome to The Dwelling Podcast. We're so glad you tuned in. Our hopes is that this message inspires you and builds your faith today. Well, today we're, starting our, uh, we're continuing our series called Higher. And, uh, and Psalm 91 says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And I think it's in the New Living Translation that says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And so um, I know sometimes we can come in church and our minds are reeling and all that stuff. And before we really get into the Word today, can we just find rest in His shelter today? Can we find rest in His presence? Just right where you are, just bow your heads and just get with the Lord today. And let's just ask Him, Come and rest. Holy Spirit, come and rest. We want to make space for you, not just in time, but, Lord, space in our hearts. We, we want you to, that reign above it all song, you reign above it all, but, Lord, you you won't barge in where you're not welcome. So, Lord, we open the doors for you to come in and just be, Lord. Reign over every corner of our hearts, Lord. Would you be the the primary focus of our affections and our attention, Lord? Will you move us to um, move us to action today, Lord? Move us to to be moved by your heart, God. I, I, that's what I prayed during worship. I just prayed for myself and all of us in this place i just said lord would you just pour out your heart in us your heart for the next generation your heart for people god would you pour it out in us because it's not something we can work up lord it's not something that we can wish for it's something that we ask for and we ask for that grace to be released on this house this morning that we truly make room for people because that's your heart So we dwell in your shelter today and we abide under your shadow. We thank you for your life changing, transforming presence that is your word. So, just in your heart, before you even hear it, this is real surrender. Before you even hear what the Lord asked, say yes. Can you just say yes this morning to his will, to his way? what he's calling you to, we say yes together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andrea. Are you guys feeling good today? Yeah. Well, if you haven't, I got a little hot tea this morning. How many of those allergies are just... Yeah. Yeah. All this weather change. I'm so thankful for the drop in humidity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's just feeling like fall. He's like, I just, mm -hmm." you know, I got a a pumpkin spice latte yesterday. (laughs) I did. All right. So if you listened to the message last week, and if you haven't, go listen to it, um, because we're building on the week prior uh, last week, we started this series, and we talked about having a higher perspective. And, and uh, our little friend, the hawk, put him up on there on the screen. This guy, uh, go listen to the message to understand what that's about. But um, But basically, if we had a mascot here at the dwelling, it would be the hawk. Because it's just, a, um, just like a prophetic undercurrent of, of what the Lord has just laid, laid breadcrumbs and guideposts along the way for us to know that we're going in the right direction and hey, stay on course. And how many of you know He speaks today? He speaks today and He's speaking this morning. But this is just one of the ways that He's spoken to us and just helped us keep on track. And the whole point of this is this to have vision that actually can see long, a long way, you gotta get up off the ground. Yeah, yeah. And just like a hawk sees, watches over a city, if I was on the streets, I couldn't see what he sees. Even if I had eyes like him, I couldn't see what he sees until I come up higher. And so the Lord is inviting us, I believe in this season as a church family, to once again be intentional about coming up higher, to see things on his level to see things from his perspective, because a human perspective is not going to cut it anymore. It never has, but how I many know you can play at it. You can play at it and do your human effort stuff, but I don't want to do that anymore. I'm done with that. I want to do it like he says. I want to see like he sees. And so we talked about our vision, and this is a vision series. We're not really um, expositing scripture during this series, but we are looking at what he has called us to as a house. And so we said last week, our big vision statement we say around here is this, we create spaces for people to encounter God as a father, to discover their identity and to fulfill their purpose. That's what we do. And you can make a space on Sunday morning in a warehouse on West West Savannah, or you can make a space in a home, in a community during the week. You can make a space in the grocery aisle uh, at Target, or picking out your your Chip and Joanna pillows or whatever. You can make a space anywhere you are. Why? Because the dwelling is not a church. The church is a dwelling. You are that and everywhere you go becomes an opportunity for people to encounter God. And so we talked about last week that we make, because of that, our, one of our values is this, we make room for God. Yeah. We're, not a, we're not really interested in just kind of doing, doing a set list on Sunday morning and a, a cute TED talk and like go home, you know, like I want my life to be wrecked by the presence of God. That's what I want more than anything else. I want him to rearrange everything. If he has to. And so we make room for him. We sang it this morning. We make space for you. We make space for you. And I wish I could preach this again because I'm fired up this morning. But in light of making space for God, in light of the fact that our number one value is his presence and it's, his, it's, his, it's our priority to seek him with everything we've got to give him a space so that he can do what he wants. And if it's presence it's, it's presence over preference. Because that is our number one value, because that is his heart, also his heart is people. And so our value number two is we make room for people. So we make room for God and we make room for people. We believe that God makes all things new and we're committed to helping people become all God created them to be as God uses us to help every lost prodigal child come home. Did you know that God's original intent was to have a family. His goal for your life is not that you would do something for him, although it includes that. His goal for your life is that you would be with him. We see it in the garden in Genesis, and we see it again in the end of the book. In Revelation, he dwells with his people. And so, people are priority, just like presence is priority. We're a a, a presence-centered church. Everything we do, we want, we're getting there, okay? We're getting there. This is our goal. Everything we do, his presence is the hub. And because of that, because we want to be conformed into the image of Jesus, his father, his connection was his father was the whole of his life, that was it. But he was people focused. It wasn't just him and his father. And He went to an isolated place to pray, but what did he always do? <laughs> he got back in the crowd. So we can't be those people that just cloister ourselves you know, together and just enjoy it. It's like we've been called to something and that something is people. So we make room for people. Our goal is to partner with him so that people who don't know him would know him. Yeah. Our goal is to have his heart that, so that when I look at someone who's made in God's image, I can honor that person, not because maybe their choices that they're making or who they are or what they can do for me, but because they're made in the image of God. And I can honor people because of that. I've, I've kind of, just a side note, I've, I've discovered that I need to refine some terminology around here. Because how many know we all have lenses that we're seeing life through? And a word might mean something to Lauren that might not mean the same to Leah. A word might mean something uh, to you dependent upon your background or your history. And I want to say just real quickly, honor. When I say that we want to build and create and foster a culture of honor, what I'm saying is we value and honor every person. Not based on what they can bring to the table, but because of who they are made in God's image. They shine the radiance of his glory, even if they're, they're jacked up. Because how many know we're all kind of jacked up? And so, when I say honor, I'm not saying that honor is demanded. Because some cultures of honor value a platform, but they don't value a potty <laughs> And the one who cleans the potties in the kingdom, I won't even say they're probably greater than the people who are on the platform because the kingdom is upside down. And so when I say honor, I'm not talking about honor as a means to promote myself, I'm not talking about honor as a means to flattery. That's not honor. Honor, honor is not a means to an end. Honor is just what we're called to. And no matter where anybody is on the spectrum of the Christian life, we're called to honor them. Even the ones who aren't even on that journey yet. Honor them. Because Jesus would. We make room for people. So it's even deeper than that, though. It's, I'm, I'm going there this morning. It's even deeper than that. It's not just about making room for people. It's not just about seeing the people who are in front of us right now. It's about seeing people who we don't even know exist yet. If I'm on an earthly level, I see what's in front of me. If I'm on the street, I see a sidewalk. In a building, and maybe a, to a couple of floors or windows. but when I'm like the hawk and I get above, and I come to God's perspective, and I have his eyes and I have his lens, I can see farther right. just because of where I am. And so as much as we value, and I, we must value the person in front of us, that's where it starts. It's reality, it's right here, it's present, being present. How many wanna work on being more present in their lives and get our faces out of this and actually look people in the eye when we're talking to them, like I'm trying to get better at that? Um, But it's even deeper than that. Making room for people is looking beyond just the present moment into something that's coming. The people who are coming, the people who we don't, don't know yet, the people who've never found the dwelling, the people who are in who are about to get stationed at Hunter that are gonna find this place. You see what I'm saying? Like, the people who are just moving into town, the people who maybe didn't grow up religious at all that are gonna encounter God through one of you guys... Through your work or in your home, in a community, they're going to come in this building and just time in his presence and time in community and time in the word of God is going to transform their life and their children's and their children's children's history. This is bigger than just what's in front of us. Are you following me? Making room for people is coming up higher so we can see farther. So we see what's on the horizon. We see the promise that's not arrived yet. We see the people who've not shown up yet, and we see the next generation. That's where I want to go this morning. Is I want to lean into this, and I will say this: community is great, right? This is this the both and. It's it's making room for God and people. And one of the ways we do that is communities. I love communities. If you're not in one, get in one. Community's great, but community without doors is toxic. Just want to throw out a little reminder to us. Like, if we're not opening the door for people to come in and find community, we have ceased to become community. Like, we're just a club of some kind. And we're just kind of just there. And that's great, but it's not what we're called to. We're called to community that has an open door. So we have an open door to receive people, but we also have an open door as a house to release people. And so I'm not, we're not going to be that kind of church that just holds on to people. And when they do step out or they do leave, we're just going to kind of shun them. No, we don't do that. We're not going to do that. We are a sending church. And as sad as sad as it is, some of you guys in this room won't be here much longer. Just because of military assignments and just because of jobs and just because of just life. but Here's what I know. You've deposited something in this house that's going to change this house forever. And hopefully we've deposited something into you that's going to change where you go forever. And so we got to have an open door. Let people in, but also let them out. Because where the waters are moving is where life is. And I want to be a warehouse that just sends people out. That's our assignment. So we make room for people knowing that we might have to give them back. (laughs) But it's beautiful because when you spread seed, the harvest can come. So the next generation. You remember Solomon, King Solomon? Yes. Wisest man who ever lived asked the Lord, make me wise. And he did. If you read Solomon's life, leaders from all over the world at that time would come just to see what was up. Queen of Sheba came just to, just to hear, just a, just a nugget of wisdom, just to see the riches just to see what God was doing through a wise leader. And if you if you read the rest of Solomon's story, you realize he didn't end well. He didn't heed the wisdom that he was given. How many know we gotta continue to walk in wisdom? And it's more about a walk than a revelation. Some of us want it just that God does just bang and speak to us. But sometimes God withholds is like, you ain't ready to walk this out yet. But Solomon didn't end well, and he ends up marrying a bunch of wives, and they're all, let, they let false worship infiltrate the nation. And so by the time the next generation comes around, you've already got a mess, because you don't have a single focus anymore. And what happened in the natural was just a prophetic sign of what had already happened in the nation's heart. The nation split. And Solomon's two sons, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, divided the nations into the northern northern and the southern kingdom. And Jeroboam, because worship was central in Jerusalem, the temple was there. Jeroboam went up north and he's like, well, where are we going to worship now? And so he says, I got an idea. We'll just go to Bethel, which means house of God, which is where... Abraham had his encounter with God and Jacob had his encounter. It's a place of visitation. It's a holy place that meant everything to the people of God. Jeroboam <clears throat> by this time his heart's not seeking the Lord. That failure of a generation before has seeped into his life. I mean, you know that's a reality. and he has idols and he goes to Bethel this holy place and he says these are the gods who led us out of Egypt and he erects a golden calf at Bethel the nerve right like what are you doing beautiful place and you've you set up something a monument to the antithesis of who God is. Like, this is this is idol worship. You've turned your hearts from the one true God who loves you and who's been so faithful, brought you through the, through the sea, has delivered you over and over. And here you are saying, these are the gods that delivered us from Egypt? Like, if I'd have been God, I'd be like, you know, like, but he's merciful. He offers sacrifice at this altar to this false god, and everything's great. He's like, All right, we're setting up new headquarters over here. Well, I'm going to plant my own church. <laughs> and then a prophet strolls up. And in 1 Kings 13, 1 through 3, it says, And behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. And the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord. And he said, O altar! altar. Thus says the Lord, behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name. Everybody say Josiah. Josiah. And he shall sacrifice on you, the priest of the high places who make offerings on you. And human bones shall be burned on you. That's not a very good launch Sunday, is it? And he gave a sign the same, same day saying, this is the sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, this altar shall be torn down and ashes that are on it shall be poured out. Pause. Flip a few pages. 300 years to be exact. Every word comes true. Josiah is born and he's part of the royal family. He is the heir to the throne. And at eight years old, he becomes king. At 16 years old, the Bible says that Josiah began to seek the Lord. At 26 years old, He's been seeking the Lord, what, 10 years? With no Bible, by the way, because the evil kings before tried to get rid of all that stuff and somebody hid it in the wall. Somebody took the book of the law and they're like, we gotta protect the word. And they stuck it off in a place. And Josiah says, look, we gotta fix this place up, okay? Like he's 26 is like, we got to repair the house of the Lord. We got to do some renovations around here. And, and they, were, they were working on the temple and they found a book of the law in the wall. And somebody's like, hey, Josiah, we found this. He reads it. Oh. I don't we don't do this anymore, but he tore his clothes. That was a sign of mourning. He tore his clothes and at 26 years, years old he went throughout that whole, that whole nation tearing down idols and altars and said this is done. We're going to worship the one true God. We know what he says. This is his word. I've been seeking him since the time I was a teenager. This is not okay. This is who God really is. He transformed a nation at 26. And he goes to Bethel and he, they're di- look, this is this Bible. Style. I love the Bible. This is weird. But they're digging up bones of dead people. Like the old priests that used to offer sacrifice, like gener- 300 years worth of bones of preachers that were leading people astray. They're digging up the bones. It's like Halloween, just skeletons on the altar, lighting them up. And the prophet's words are coming true. I don't know whose idea that was. (laughs) Josiah's like, we're gonna get rid of this, okay? Generational curse here, you're like, all right. And and then he says, okay, all right. Hey, there's one more grave over here. Whose grave is that? Because we don't want to be digging up somebody's grandma. You know, we want to we want to make sure that it was one of the old priests and the and the people of the town, the word says, they came to Josiah and said, No, no, that's the prophet who prophesied about you and that you would do that. What you're doing right now, that you'd be doing that. 300 years ago. And he said, yeah, just leave him. (laughs) And I wonder, I wonder, because the Bible doesn't tell us all the details. But it makes me wonder, at eight years old, Was there somebody who had seen the glory of the Lord? Someone that had the word in their heart. The same word that was hidden in the wall that a generation had forgotten. Was there somebody from generations past that that was able to come alongside Josiah? Why at 16 did he start seeking the Lord? I just wonder these things. I don't I don't know. I don't know. I I I I want to think maybe somebody in the palace, somebody who had an inn that was still faithful to God, was a voice in his ear. Maybe just a guiding influence in his life. I don't I don't know that. At 16 years old, when he started seeking the Lord, was someone who was praying for him, oh, here we go. I don't know. Was he on his own? I, 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 we, we honestly don't know. Doesn't say. But I do know at 26 years old, there were people who knew that story that spoke that promise over his life. Hey, you know what? This is what you were born for. Because they remember what God said. And what I do know is that Josiah's life, there was a facilitation that took place just because of his throne, just because of his name, just because of who he was and the calling on his life. Just the fact that he was royalty. The destiny of his life was facilitated and communicated. One Eight-year-old boy. It started with an eight-year-old boy. Transformed a nation. And I wonder if we applied this principle of... Communication and facilitation to communicate something to this generation and to facilitate something for this generation so that they would walk in their walk out their destiny, that they would walk into their purpose because they've known their identity, because they've had an encounter with God. And I wonder if there'd be a church that would create a space for that to happen a space for people, not just people, but little people eight-year-olds that could shake nations, that could encounter God as a father, and not just kind of a religious idea, not just know the Bible stories, but actually encounter God. I wonder if there's some parents that could create a space in their home for their four-year-olds to not just know the Bible, but know the God of the Bible. I wonder if there's some homes and communities that will let kids be a part of the community and experience the presence of God during worship, and not worry if they're just kind of gnawing on the carpet or whatever. Like, like, but they're just soaking in this atmosphere of the church, the body of Christ in the presence of God and the word of God and they're like a little sponge and maybe an eight-year-old who comes to community or an eight-year-old who comes to our new elementary class or who's sitting in here today could be the one that at 16 years old all of that begins to click in their little mind and this 16-year-old's a teenager, you know what? I'm putting my foot down. This is the God who's called me to be with him And to know him, I'm going to live for him. I mean, that's not much time. That's eight years. Ten years. That's 18 years. Mamas, daddies, you got 18 years. To build into their lives what they're going to need to be the world changers that they are. Church, we have that long to build into Little ones' lives. Yep, yep. We've had ex- we've had a baby palooza around here, <laughs> <laughs> had we? Those it's those uh, it's the hospitality out there. I don't know what they're putting in that lemonade, <laughs> that lemon water. <laughs> but that's great. And you think, well, you know, and the old preachers that we're gonna grow this church one way or another, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> But I want you, I want you as cute as they are and as sweet and as awesome as it is that families are growing and having babies and a lot of them couldn't have them, but Jesus has the final word and, and, and he just healed some wombs or something, I don't know, but they are babies that shouldn't be. And what I'm saying is God has given us a mandate. He's given us a chance. He's given us an opportunity to partner with him. Do you know that there are churches all around here within a 100-mile radius of this house that wish a family would come with a baby? A church that's dying that's like, are we going to be able to make it through the year because we just don't have any more families? Guys, we are bursting at the seams with kids. And it is a privilege and an honor to be able to have those kids in this house that we get to pour into. It is a privilege and an honor to have kids of your own. The Bible says they're arrows in a warrior's quiver. So we got to launch them out. That's what mama don't want to do, but we got to. But while you got them... Make sure they're sharp. And I even... I I like to make sure they're on fire. (laughs) So what do they need? What does this next generation need? They need prophetic promise over their life. They need mama and daddy, just like my grandmother. I've shared this so many times. My grandfather and my grandmother, when I would sleep at their house... They'd come in there and they'd kneel down at my bed and they'd put their hands on me as a little kid. And I remember that pink suede blanket. And there was a, y'all, just there was an electric blanket on top of me. And if I was sick, my granny rubbed that Vicks Vapor Rub on me and put that bath cloth. I'm telling you, there's just nothing more comforting than granny's house. But they would lay their hands on me and they would pray. And I remember my granny, Jesus. And she'd tell me this story. My, my grandfather died when I was, I think I was six years old. So my memories are really vague, but she kept them alive for me because she'd tell me all the time, we'd pray for you when you'd stay at our house and your paw. every time. So we'd walk into the living room after you'd gone to sleep and he'd say, God's got his hand on that boy. Do you realize I never heard my grandfather say that? It was second hand. But do you know it's kept me going in some dark seasons? Do you know it's given me some confidence to stand on a stage? (laughs) Because I don't really want to do that. (laughs) But if God calls me to do that, I'm going to do it. And it just helps a whole lot when you know that your godly grandfather saw something in you and spoke it over you. And then your godly grandmother says, I don't know what she was, I don't, I don't know if she just wanted me to know it, but she just kept saying it, kept saying it, kept saying it, God's got his hand on you, God's got his hand on you, God's got his hand on you. You feel like you're not called? You feel like you screwed up so bad God can never use you? God's got his hand on that boy. The generation that's coming needs to hear the promise of the Lord over their life. As parents, we need to speak that over our children. As a church, we need to speak that over our children. They need not only communication, but they need facilitation. They need spaces. They need a space. They need people who are willing to go invest in them. They need need a church. By the way, I want to talk about this a little more next week. But they need a church that will be generous so that they can have a place to meet. Yes. Right back there. Yes. And here's what's gonna happen in, a, in several weeks from now is we're gonna be in here having church and we're gonna be all calm. And you're, you're, you're gonna hear, mm, 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 mm. and it's gonna be coming from right back there. And we're gonna have people come to this platform that are gonna say, those kids prayed over each other last week and a kid got healed in that room back there. Or we're going to say, uh, uh, those kids, I mean, like, it service kind of, we had a plan, but one of the kids started preaching, so we just kind of let them preach. Yes. And we had some kids say yes to the Lord back there. Yes. I'm just saying, there's going to be testimony. Because when you create a space for God to move, he's, he will move in it, especially if it's his heart. And the next generation is his heart. He's a generational God. So so thankful for our kids' team. Can we give it up for our kids' team? We're so grateful for y'all. So thankful for Pastor Brandon. If you've not met Brandon, make sure you hug his neck. He's a blessing. <laughs> He's just a blessing. He's got a heart for our kids, His heart for families. And um, there he is right back there. Got a baby. He's got somebody's baby that's upset. I could preach all day on this. Y'all see me scrolling through? I got time for all that. Maybe another time. I told the story about my grandfather, but when I was young, probably maybe a seventh grader, I, uh, my pastor stood in the pulpit at our, at our church one Sunday, and there was like a, I can't remember what it was, it was either a board or a tree or something like that that was set up, like a Christmas tree or something. And there were names attached to it. And it was all the names of the next generation in our church, the kids and the youth. And our pastor said, um, our pastor said, hey, this is what I'm calling us to do. The next generation needs mentors. They need voices in their life. They need prayer. They need support. And so at the end of service today, during the altar time, he he said, I want you to come up here and I want you to get a name off of this. And a man man named Mr. George walked up at the end of service that day. And he got a name that said Gunnar Acreage on it. And he put it in his Bible. And he sent me two cards Over the next several years until I graduated high school, two. You say, "Come on, Mr. George, <laughs> Like, <laughs> you do better than that." No, he sent. The point is this: he sent me two cards, and I'm pretty sure I have those cards. And I, I pulled them out, and I've read it because he saw something in me I couldn't see in myself. He spoke promises over me that I didn't even know. I didn't even know to think that way. But every time he saw me, he said, I'm praying for you. And y'all, that's simple. Two cards and I'm praying for you impacted my life greatly. I'm just saying, greatly. Leah, when you come in here on Wednesday nights, and raising up a team to, right now, to, with their different roles, to pour into our teenagers, the words that you say stick with those kids for the rest of their lives. You, they, I mean, you, you, who's ever taught a group of teenagers before? It looks like they're catatonic. <laughs> Sometimes, some of them. I'm sure I looked like that when I was in youth group. but it gets stored away up here. Yeah. And the Lord puts the, when we, when we just expose teenagers to the word, when we expose kids to the word, it gets in them and then God lights it up one day. It may be, you've been doing it for 16 years. Mama, don't quit. Daddy, don't quit. Because one day, and Josiah began to seek the Lord. And Jonah and Jameson began to seek the Lord. Rebecca began to seek the Lord. And Shep began to seek the Lord. And Luca began to seek the Lord. And we can't see the details of the future. I, I I don't know what these kids are going to do with their lives. And how many know there is no promise? Because they have a free will. It's their own heart. It's their own mind. But I'm telling you what. I'm going to do everything I can to raise my kids to where they will seek the Lord. And if they choose not to at least I've done my part. As a church, we're going to commit to invest in the next generation. And if they don't choose to walk with God, at least we've done everything we could possibly do to reach them, to, know, to help them to know that God loves them, to help them to know that, they're, that they are sons and daughters of the Most High God, that they have a purpose for their life, that they can hear His voice. That they can do the things Jesus did. That they can know his heart. That they can make a difference. And I'm believing because I've seen it. I'm believing that there won't just be one or two that run with it. And when I say run with it, I mean we're going to be shocked. We need to save this message somewhere so we can go show it to those kids that are changing the world one day. Because God moved in somebody's heart in this room and they begin to speak life over their children. They begin to, they begin to on Sundays to serve in, in nursery or serve in pre-K or to serve in elementary or to serve in youth. And we started actually putting our money and our energy where our mouth is and say we're gonna invest in the next generation. Yeah. A healthy church is built by every person yeah. taking. Responsibility. I was thinking about just the words of Isaiah this morning as we were worship. Here I am, send me. I heard a song on the radio. Bless me, bless me, bless me. Have y'all heard that one? <laughs> I'm not saying we shouldn't pray. Pray that. But how about here I am, send me. Bless me. (laughs) I feel like God's like, open your eyes. (laughs) Like, uh, I have blessed you. What are you going to bless? Like, uh, even that uh, that tension of like, I, I hear that, Lord, bless me. And I'm like, you've blessed me. How can I be a blessing? Here I am, send me. And I'll just throw this in there. Um, I've said this out of my own mouth, so I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, but I hear this a lot. Kids ministry is not for me. You're right. Kids ministry is not for us. It's for them. It's for them. It's for the next generation. And I just believe God is raising up a Josiah generation. Right now, I'm not going to miss the wave. How about you? Do you know who D.L. Moody is? Famous preacher, 1800s. Moody Bible Institute in Chicago is named after him. One of the most famous revivalist evangelists in history. I was digging through old newspapers because that's what I do. And I found an article where D.L. Moody came to Savannah. And he preached at Independent Pres down here. I think that's where it was, Presbyterian Church. And he stood in the pulpit, and the, the newspaper quoted him prophesying over our city, praying over our city. And here's what D.L. Moody prayed. Lord, that you would raise up a Daniel in this city. Lord, that you would raise up a Daniel in this city. Now, think about our generation that we're in right now and where Daniel was in Babylon. It's just like countercultural. He's the one that prayed when the king told him, don't pray. He wouldn't bow the knee. God's raising up a generation. I believe in this city, he's raising up Daniels. I believe that God's raising up Daniels in this house. but we have to raise them up. God can do things like sovereignly, boom. Just like he called Abraham, but he shouldn't have to. We're called to raise up ne- the next generation. And so the question is this. I told you I was gonna tell a story. Just come on up and pray, pray for us. Getting carried away this morning. Can you tell this is my heart right now? It's not temporary, because this is what we're called to. Yeah. So what would your yes do? That's what, that's what I, I hope I've been able to give you a, a vision of what could my yes do? If I started communicating, facilitating into my own children's lives, what, what, if, what would my yes do if I went out there today and went to that meeting and got, on, got teamed up with the kids' team? what 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 would my yes do if I took some time on every other Wednesday night just to pour into some teenagers? What would my yes do if I was just faithful to say yes? So starting in our own homes, if we're parents, but also everyone who calls a dwelling home here's here's the challenge today i want to I want you just to really just listen to what the Lord's saying okay can you can you promise me that Because I don't want you to do anything because I'm asking you. I want you to do it because you're taking responsibility and hopefully answering a call that he's put on your life. Okay? So here's what we want to do as a family. Say yes to pray for the next generation. Can we do that? Can we commit to pray for them? If you think of one of the kids in our church or one of the families, just pray for them. And send them a text. I'm praying for you. Say yes to say what God says. To speak promises of our kids. Even today... If you have a kid run by you, say, hey, bless you. You're so smart. You know what? God's got a plan for your life. Yeah, right. I do that sometimes right here. I like those shoes. When's the last time you did this? Sometimes seeing higher means we got to go like this <laughs> yeah. and get face to face with the kid and say, you know what? You're important to God. God and then they just run away and that's okay. <laughs> Cuz you got it in there. And say yes to invest in the next generation financially. We got to I'm just saying it's coming. We got to build out a space back here. Cuz it's a hot mess right now. Maybe to say yes to give one Sunday a month, create a space for kids to encounter God. Hey, hopefully we have enough people sign up once every other month. It's my turn. Beating a door down back there to get back there. I'm telling you, the testimonies that are gonna come out of that place back there and from our kids on Wednesday nights are gonna blow our minds. They're gonna lead us in revival. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information about The Dwelling, visit thedwellingchurch.org.